You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading tonight will be from the book of Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke, chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hello everyone, my name is Jordan Rivera and I am one of the two ministry residents here at Christ Church. And now we are in the process of planting a Spanish-speaking church. So uh, I would love for you to pray for us as we go in this process. And it is an honor to me to be part of these series of preachings on the book of Luke. And I am honored to be closing now this section that speaks about salvation. So today we're going to be learning about salvation. And I want to pray so that we may be um, ready to receive God's word. But I'm, I want to encourage you to pray right now. You're going to pray there where you are in your heart, in your mind. And I'm going to pray in a couple of seconds. So what if you close your eyes and you bow your heads? And where you are, you can talk to God in your own words and say, God, here I am. Would you speak today to my life? And I'll pray out loud in a couple of seconds. Lord God, we come before you acknowledging that we need you. That there's nothing in me, there's nothing in my speak that can teach these people. There's nothing that I know uh, in my own strength, in my own wisdom that can make a change, that can bless 
this church, uh, but it's only your word, it's only Jesus Christ, it's only, only by the Holy Spirit that we can be transformed today. There's only by the Holy Spirit that they, there can be fruit tonight. And we come before you, we ask you to do your will. We ask you to bless this time. We ask you to bless, bless your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. When Debbie and I got married a couple of years ago, we bought a thousand-piece puzzle. And I have a picture for you but it, because it's a little bit hard to explain what it is. It's a thousand-piece puzzle, uh, but it is a mosaic of pictures. So you have thousands of pictures, but yet you have one picture. And don't ask me if we finished that puzzle or not. Our objective was not to finish that puzzle. Our objective was to be reminded that as that puzzle with a thousand pieces, with thousands of images that when you would put them together, you would get one image. Uh, we wanted that to be a reminder to us that the Bible is like that, it gives us a lot of stories, thousands of stories, but when you put them together, you would get one image, and that is the image of Jesus. And I think the Gospels are kind of the same thing. We have, we have uh, different stories of Jesus in different scenarios. We have Jesus doing this and, and doing that with different people, saying this, teaching that. But when you put all these uh, stories of Jesus together, you would get the whole picture of who Jesus is. And today we're going to see one of the, those instances when we see Jesus doing something. And this is not only him doing something, but him, him showing who he is. And actually, this is the title of our sermon today, Who is this? This is a question asked in our passage, and we want to answer this with the passage itself, and we're going to have three answers that are going to be our main points today. So this is my goal today. If you're taking notes, this is a good time to, to write something. My goal today is for us to be persuaded to come to Jesus, bringing our sins to see that there's forgiveness in him. Let me say that one more time. My goal today is that we may be persuaded to come to Jesus, bringing our sins to see that there's forgiveness and peace in him. And that actually rhymes, and I didn't notice that. It seems like I'm, I'm good at this. Let's, uh, let's read the first couple of verses together. Actually, I'm going to let you read. I'd like for us to be reminded of the text. So verses 36 to 38, we're going to read it together. Actually, mostly you. Let's, let's do this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kiss his feet and anoint them with the ointment. We have now in this scene a Pharisee inviting Jesus to come to his house. And Luke wants us to know that he is a Pharisee because if we can have that text again, we'll see that in the text we'll, we're going to find more than one time the word Pharisee. Actually, how many times do you see the word Pharisee there? One, two, yes, 
three times. And actually, in the, ver in the next verse, we're going to find it one more time. In four verses, we're going to find four times the word Pharisee. And this is a way that the biblical authors used to call our attention. And the thing is, in, is that in this section, Luke is presenting us a contrast between the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the sinners, or the Gentiles. Actually, if you want to follow in the same chapter on verse 9, with your eyes, you can look that a Roman centurion trusts in Jesus. And Jesus says that not even in Israel he has found such faith. A Roman centurion, a man of authority, a man of authority that trusts in Jesus' authority. This is kind of backwards, or we would say upside down, right? And also we see a couple verses before, in verse 29 and 30, if you can... Uh, actually, we're going to read them. I'm going to read them. You can follow verses 29 and 30. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. Tax collectors declaring God just. And then we see verse 30, but the Pharisees and the experts of, of the law rejected the purpose of God for themselves. Tax collectors declaring God just and religious leaders rejecting the purpose of God for themselves. This is backwards or upside down, and uh, which makes our story a little bit more interesting because a Pharisee is inviting Jesus into his house. Maybe he was part of those Pharisees. We, we don't know, but he is wanting Jesus to come to his house. And our story unfolds in this, in this contrast. Now, in verse 37 and 38, we uh, read that the sinful woman is the one who approaches Jesus in the scene. So we don't only have the Pharisee, but we have a sinful woman also in, in this scene. And we read that when she knew that Jesus was in the house of the, Pharisee, in, of the Pharisee, she came and she stood behind him and she started to weep. Now, in the, times, in the time of Jesus, tables were not as high as we have them today. Tables uh, in that time were as high as a chair. So people would be facing forward to the table. They would be uh, reclining on their left arm, and they would be reaching with their right hand to eat food. And their legs will be laying down or stretched to the back. So it makes sense now that the sinful woman walks in, and uh, Jesus is has his uh, legs stretched back. And she now stands behind him, and she starts to weep. And it is, it is very impressive what, what she does. We have a very vivid image. Luke gives us a lot of details of what she does. And we see that uh, she starts cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. It is very impressive that she brings an alabaster flask of perfume. These flasks were made in Egypt in, in a city named Alabastron. And so these were, these, these were flasks brought all the way from Egypt to now Israel. So they were very expensive. And if you have a very expensive flask, you would have also a very expensive ointment or perfume. You would just not use it to drink water. So she has a very expensive perfume and a very expensive flask. It is also impressive that we uh, read that she has to break this. The thing is that this flask would have a bottleneck um, and you would have to break it in order to use it. So it was bright and new. All these, all these things, things very impressive that she does. But maybe the most impressive thing that she does is 
not exactly what she does, but where she does this. She is doing this in the house of the Pharisee. At the time, Pharisees would avoid touching women in general. They would do it because uh, they didn't want to become unclean for touching a woman if uh, they were in, in their period. Now, if this is unfamiliar language to you or uh, unfamiliar concept to you, we had a whole series of preachings of the book of Leviticus, and Pastor Nathan explained this and other things. Uh, so you can find that in our website, or if you want to talk about this, I would love to grab coffee and lunch with you and, and talk about these things. Uh, so we, we see that the simple woman walks in, and we see that the Pharisee has more than one reason to be uncomfortable with her. Like, the first he would not like to touch her, and now what she does is she unveils her head and lets her hair go down. And and in the time, that was very inappropriate to do, especially before men, especially before Pharisees. But she's willing to walk in this situation, and she's willing to do this for a reason. It seems like she is compelled to do this And the reason is Jesus. What does she know about Jesus that is willing to step into an uncomfortable situation to do this? I mean, she was not even invited to to this meal, right? Let's just start with that. What does she know about Jesus that she is compelled to do these things? Well, it, it is very ironic the way that Luke Uh, writes this story and how he arranges this story. I think he's very intentional. In verse 34, you can look uh, in verse 34, we have that Jesus says of himself that other people say, uh, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then two verses after that declaration, he's seated at a table eating and there's a simple woman approaching him. Almost like Luke bringing our attention to see that Jesus was intentionally eating with sinful people, and he was intentionally having relationships with sinners. And yes, Jesus is a friend of sinners. And this is what she knew. This is what she knew. Perhaps she knew that Jesus was a friend of sinners and she was willing to walk in, being vulnerable in this situation to have this time with Jesus. Maybe a time of gratitude as we're going to see. But the question is, do, do we know that? Do we know that Jesus is a friend of sinners? What, what is there in our lives today, perhaps during this week, that has prevented us to approach Jesus for who he is? As, a, as Christians, we know that he is a friend of sinner, sinners, and, and this, the fact that we are sinners makes him approachable. It is very human of us to think that because we are sinners, we cannot approach, approach God, and actually that is good theology. <laughs> but in Jesus, God has come and he has approached us. Remember the story of Adam and Eve? Our parents, Adam and Eve, after they sinned, what did they do? They hid from God. From the very beginning, we see that there's a tendency in our lives to not approach God because we're sinful. 
But also from the very beginning, we see that God approaches us. What did God do? He went and he looked for them. He asked, where are you? Huh, very interesting question. Where, where are you? What do you mean, where are you? Is God. He, he knows everything. He's intentional in the, in the questions he asks. He's intentional in the way that he develops a conversation with people in the same way as Jesus. And Jesus is a friend of sinners. Is there anything that is holding us back to approach Jesus for who he is? If there is a sin that is preventing you to approach him, let me tell you that the very fact that you are a sinner makes you a friend of his. And you, my friend, maybe you have heard of, of Jesus. You have heard that he is a friend of sinners, but he's not yet your friend. And maybe social pressure, maybe your reputation, maybe your past, maybe your present is preventing you to come to Jesus. Jesus wants you to know that he is friends. He's a friend of sinners, of all type of sinners, because he does not only eat with the tax collectors as, as he did in Math, with Matthew, but he also eats in the house of Pharisees. He's the type of friend of Pharisees and the type of friend of tax collectors. He can be your friend too, but he's more than that. He's more than a friend of sinners. And it seems that the Pharisee knows this because he calls him also a prophet and he calls him a teacher. So this is our second point, prophet and teacher. So we're going to have verses 39 to 40. Okay? We're going to, you're going to read it together. Ready? And standing behind him at his feet, weeping. Excuse, sorry, guys. I think this is the, the verses before. Is that, is that correct? I think we, we read it. No, let's start from now when the Pharisee, I'm sorry, that was my bad. Ready? Do you see that? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you. Ready? Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have... we find out the name of the Pharisee. His name is Simon. And we do not only find out his name, but also we find out what he's thinking. Uh, the beginning in verses 16 and 17 of this uh, same chapter, chapter 7, verses 16 and 17, um, after Jesus rose a young man from death to life, we read that people glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And, the, and this report about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Maybe Simon heard of these rumors, that there was a prophet in, in, in this city. Maybe he heard about a, name, a, a guy named Jesus, and he wanted to find out if he was a prophet or not. And this is why he invites Jesus into his house. And maybe Simon has seen enough, and it seems like in verse 39 that he's making his mind up about Jesus. He thinks that Jesus is clearly not a prophet, because if he would be a prophet, he wouldn't know what type of woman is touching him. 
with this, uh, Simon does not only make a judgment about Jesus, but he also makes a judgment about the woman that is touching Jesus. He thinks he knows them both. He thinks he knows Jesus, and he knows he, th- he knows the woman, and he's pretty confident about it. But in verse 40, we, we see that Jesus knows what Simon is thinking, and Simon doesn't know that. He thinks he knows Jesus, but he doesn't know Jesus. Luke is showing us that Jesus has a prophet-like discernment, that Jesus is a prophet, and he's more than a prophet. But Simon is blind to this. He doesn't see that Jesus is more than a prophet, and he thinks he knows him, and he knows this woman. On the other hand, we have the sinful woman, and we know that she does know Jesus, and this is why she approaches him and I'm pretty sure she also knew Simon the Pharisee. It was, it was going to be hard to not know a Pharisee at the time. So I'm pretty sure she knew the Pharisee, and she knew Jesus. So we have that Jesus knows the Pharisee and the woman. The woman knows Jesus and the Pharisee, but then the Pharisee is just blinded. He doesn't know Jesus, and he doesn't know her. And this is why Jesus, I believe, is bringing a parable because Simon is kind of confused of what is going on. So Jesus brings this parable to explain to him who Jesus is and who and what is the woman doing. So we read in verse 41 to 43 the following. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the debt, the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, this is a short and simple parable. And Jesus finishes this parable as he usually does with a question. And it seems like Simon answers this correctly. But don't let this short and simple parable trick you. Because I think we don't get the punchline correctly the first time we read. So I'm going to help you. We read that a certain moneylender had two debtors. Now, a moneylender is a person that gives out loans for a job. He lends money, right? He is a money uh, lender. And he has two people that owe him money. One owed him two months of work, two months worth of work, and this other person owed him almost two years worth of work. 50 denaries, uh, 500 denaries. Two weeks worth, uh, two months worth of work, and almost two years worth of work. Now, if you are a moneylender and you have two people that owe you money, money, and they cannot pay you. What do you do? If you're the money lender, this is your job, this is your living. Maybe you can give him a better payment rate. Maybe you can give him more time to pay. Maybe you would hire them to work for you so that they can pay your debt. I mean, you're, this, is, this is your job, this is what you do. What you do not do is to cancel their debt. I mean, this guy is not a good businessman. He's he's not making any money out of this. He's a moneylender that forgives debts. What is he doing? It is very interesting that we get this language 
because this is exactly what Jesus told us that he came to do. If you remember in chapter 4 of Luke, when he talked about his mission here on earth, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you remember Pastor Nathan preaching, he mentioned that this the year of the Lord's favor is the year of the Jubilee. Every 70 years, God declared that in the year of Jubilee, all the debts were going to be canceled. Brothers and sisters, and this is unexpected. Jesus comes to put to end our debts before God. He brings a new kingdom with new rules, with new wisdom, with new understanding, an upside-down kingdom that brings forgiveness to all who believe in him. Jesus is more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. And this sinful woman knows that. This is why she's approaching him. But again, Simon is just blinded to this. He cannot see who Jesus is. And this is shown in two ways. The fact that Simon doesn't see who Jesus is is shown in two ways. As one commentator says, the result of not seeing Jesus is that he didn't know the woman. He thought he knew the woman, but he's judging the woman. He doesn't see the woman as Jesus sees the woman. He has his own uh, thought about her. But then the bigger problem of not seeing Jesus is that he cannot see himself. And therefore, he thinks that there's not much to be forgiven. Verse 44 to 47. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Maybe Simon thought that he was a good host. Maybe he thought that he did things right. I mean, he was treating Jesus as he thought that Jesus uh, needed to be treated. He was treating Jesus not for who Jesus was, but for what he thought that Jesus was. Does that make sense? And this is the danger of defining Jesus after our circumstances. This is the danger of thinking of Jesus accordingly to where we are and how we feel. This is the danger of defining Jesus after our status. This is the danger of defining Jesus not by his word, but by what others say about him. In this explanation of the parable that Jesus brings, we see a great parallel. And at the same time, in this parallel, we, we see that the sinful woman did most of it right. She did, she did all of it right. And at the same time, we see that Simon did most of it wrong. He didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't greet him with a kiss. He didn't anoint him. All these manifestations of respect and honor, but he didn't even know that. He didn't even know that he offended Jesus. And the reason 
is because he didn't know Jesus. And therefore, he thought that he was okay. And isn't that us? Isn't that us? Like the sinful woman, the moments when we come in repentance, the times when we enjoy Jesus' forgiveness, the times when we enjoy and, and we are glad before the Lord, they happen when we see ourselves clearly for who we are because we see Jesus for who he is. But aren't we also like the Pharisee, blinded to who we are and we, can, we cannot enjoy Jesus? And even we look to others and we compare ourselves to others and therefore we cannot say like Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. The great apostle Paul, our great hero, saying that he is the foremost of all sinners. And yet, sometimes we, we just don't acknowledge that, that that is us also. But why can Paul say that? Well, Paul is not looking around and saying, oh yes, look at them. Yeah, I, from all these sinners, I am the foremost. He's not comparing himself to, to, to others. But he's looking at Jesus. And as he looks at Jesus, he says, from all the sinners, I am the foremost. There is a tendency when we don't look at Jesus to look to other people and then there's a tendency to compare ourselves with other people. Same way that the Pharisee did. He thought that he was more holy than the, than the, the sinful woman. And he started to compare himself to her because he didn't see Jesus clearly. The times that we feel superior to others is because we don't see Jesus. The times that we feel superior to our wives and our husbands, the times that we feel superior and more holy uh, than our kids, the, the times that we feel that we are more righteous than our neighbors are the times when we are not looking to Jesus. We're looking to people and we're comparing ourselves to them. Sometimes we feel that people don't deserve our forgiveness. Why? Because we're looking to them. We're focusing on us. We're not looking to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, there's a straight connection between us receiving the forgiveness of God and forgiving others. Do you remember the Lord's Prayer? Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Or Colossians 3:13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Maybe the offense was not as big as you thought it was. Maybe you're so focused about you and that person, and you're not looking to Jesus. This is the danger, again, of defining Jesus for who we think he is because of our circumstances, because of our status, and not coming to the word to be exposed, to see Jesus for who he is, to have light to see who we are, 
so that we don't judge others because we know where our position is before God. But don't, don't get me wrong, this is not my chance to throw stones at you. I fell in, in this too. Uh, as I was preparing this, this teaching, I was confronted by the fact that um, I don't come very often in repentance to God. I don't, I don't come as often as I should to confess my sin. Sometimes I don't even remember the things that I failed. But this is not because I don't have a good memory. It's because I don't think that I am as sinful. Does that make sense? And I, I also realize that as I don't ask for forgiveness to God, at the same time, I don't ask for forgiveness to others. Like, I don't ask to, to be forgiven often to my wife. And this is not because I am a great husband. It's, it's because I don't think that I am as sinful. Bad news. But here are the great news. This is why we need Jesus. Because he is a friend of sinners. Because he is more than a prophet. Because he is more than a teacher. Because he forgives sins. The fact that we are sinners should move us to approach Jesus. He is, we are made for him. Who he is makes sense to who we are. Listen to what Jesus says, verses 48 to 50. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to, uh, to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus, who knows our thoughts. Jesus, who knows our past. Jesus, who knows our darkest days. Jesus, who knows who we are. The same Jesus who says, your sins are forgiven. And this is such a great comfort to know that we, we come with our guiltiness. We, we come with our heart and heart sometimes. We even come with sadness and sorrow. But when we come in repentance, Jesus comes and he says, you're forgiven. And he says, go in peace. Such a relief to know that every time that we come to Jesus to ask for forgiveness, we can receive his peace. For how long have, been, have us been rejecting the peace of God? For how long, maybe this week, we have um, waited to come to Jesus? I'm so grateful, uh, grateful for our church and the liturgy that we have because every Sunday we come in repentance. Every Sunday we have something to come in confession with. And at the same time, every week we have the assurance of pardon. Friends, and you don't have to wait un until Sunday to hear this. You don't have to wait until Sunday to repent. You can come today to him. You can come tonight to him. Don't wait no longer. Come to Jesus. Is there something that is holding you back? Come to Christ today. Maybe you're carrying sins of this week, of the month maybe. Come and see that he has already forgiven you. Come and taste the sweet flavor of grace. Come today to his feet. Come today to his feet. Come and what you see. What you see there. You see the marks of forgiveness that he has decided to keep for eternity. He is the Lord of forgiveness. Come to him and experience 
his peace. And you, my friend, you that are not a Christian, you that you don't know Jesus, maybe you that are seeing Jesus for who he is, I pray that today you may come to him in repentance. If you're confused about this, this Jesus, if you don't know who he is and you would like to talk about him, I'll, I'll be standing right there. I would love to talk to you about him and the salvation that you can find in him. Let us pray. Let us pray that the Lord our God may compel us, may move us to behold Jesus and to find in him the peace that we all need. Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you, acknowledging that we often spend our time in other places. We often spend our energy and thoughts thinking about us and others, and we don't behold Jesus. And there is where our tendency to compare ourselves to others come. But today, we are reminded that Jesus is Savior. We are reminded that He forgives sins. We are reminded that He's what we need, that He's a friend of sinners. More than a prophet and a teacher, He is who forgives sins. Let us embrace repentance. Let us embrace peace that today as we come to him and we behold him, that our gaze may be transformed because we have tasted the sweetness of grace in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www dot Christchurchabq.com